Friends, tonight, the silent majority has spoken. The silent majority has spoken, not the loud and angry voices on social media, but average Albertans who simply spoke today, those folks who simply want their common sense re values reflected in their government, who want high quality health, education and public services, but who understand that we need a vibrant private sector economy in order to pay for those things. This is Vancouver Province columnist Mike Smith. And I'm Vancouver Sun columnist Rob Shaw. It's time to go in the house and go inside BC politics. All right, welcome to another podcast. That's the voice of Jason Kenney, who's now the Premier-elect of Alberta. And that's what we're going to lead off with today, uh, or this week, Rob. And Jason Kenney and his United Conservative Party, they roll to a big win there in Alberta. And I guess surprising absolutely nobody. He was leading the polls for a long time. But you never know. Sometimes the polls are wrong. But he won big. I think there's a lot of people in Alberta are mad at the uh, flat state of the economy. I thought Kenney did a great job in kind of saying that outside forces in the province and the NDP in particular were partly to blame. There's a lot of hurt in Albertans there. And they voted big for Kenney yesterday. Yeah, I think there was a begrudging kind of respect for Rachel Notley as a leader, maybe, yeah. but not her party. Yeah. And, they, you know, Alberta flirted with one brief kind of taste of the NDP government, and now they're back to the a much more united uh, center-right in, in Alberta. So 63 seats for Kenny's party, 24 for the NDP. The electoral map in Alberta is kind of interesting because the whole province is blue, except for basically Edmonton. And this kind of reminds me of BC's map in the sense that the whole province is basically liberal except for the kind of the urban area that sticks in the lower mainland with the NDP. NDP. But obviously, yeah. we have more ridings and, it, it, you know, the math is different in B.C. But it is interesting to see almost two different elections going on in Alberta and the same way we had in B.C. as well. But it does leave a big question, Smitty. What does this mean for British Columbia? And we've seen it coming. We've seen this battle, this battle royal, as you've put it, you know, between Kenny and Horgan. Um, what, what's your first kind of take on where you think this think this leaves us well remember one of the frequent talking points by jason kenney on the campaign trail was this so-called turn off the taps legislation which interestingly rachel notley and her government actually passed that legislation which would uh, empower the the alberta government to cut off oil and gas shipments to british columbia in retaliation over the horgan government's opposition to their pipeline so it was the the Notley government that actually brought it in, but they never proclaimed it into law. Now, Notley said that was strategic because the moment you proclaimed it into law, the B.C. government would challenge it in court. Right. So she said, now, now uh, Jason Kenney said, no, I'm going to proclaim this law immediately at my very first uh, cabinet meeting. And... He said that frequently, and I, I suspect that's exactly what he will do. Now, she said, well, you're only going to, if you do that, you're only going to invite an immediate lawsuit from BC if you do it. And that's why I didn't do it. So she said it was kind of like blowing up the, uh, the weapon on the launch pad, and it was a very bad strategic decision. But I thought it worked well for, for Kenny. I mean, the, the voters in Alberta at all his rallies, they just lapped it up every time he said, I'm going to punish Horgan. I'm going to make him freeze in the dark. You know, they think they got high gas prices now. Wait till they get a load of me. Oh, yeah. And I cut off their oil and gas shipments. They're going to be paying through the nose. The crowd loved it. 
And he, he branded all of the lower mainland New Democrat mayors in British Columbia. He said, the mayor, the New Democrat mayor of Vancouver wants to go carbon uh, neutral by 2040. We'll make him carbon neutral by 2020, which was a great line. And people yeah. love that, too. So, you know, we but did, will he do it, though? That's the thing. We did hear in his very first kind of media appearance after the election, Jason Kenney said, OK, look, it's we're going to enact this thing, but it's not our intention to immediately put it out in uh, force. Yeah. We're going to have a discussion with John Horgan. We're going to sit down <laughs> and try and do this diplomatically. It seems like both sides are buying a little bit of time until there's a meeting later this summer uh, for the Council of the Federation, you know, where all the premiers get together and kind of powwow. And I think that they're going to be a little bit of a, um, you know, kind of a truce, I guess, before Horgan and Kenny get a chance to sit down. They said they're going to try and sit down before that meeting, which I think is in June. So I'm, I'm not expecting, you know, first off, Kenny has to convene a cabinet and he has to, you know, form government. That transition is late April. I think third week of May, he recalls the legislature. He's got a ton of stuff to do. So he may get caught up in just the initial kind of, you know, um, fun of starting the government and doing all these things. And he may, and then the other thing to consider is there's a federal election coming up this fall. Yeah. And Kenny, a former conservative cabinet minister, he clearly dislikes Justin Trudeau and the federal liberal party. He's already, he may end up picking that fight first before he picks the fight with Horgan. So, you know, mm. it's a, it's a, a threat, but I'm not sure who knows uh, whether it'll be enacted or not. It is a lonely time to be John Horgan, the new Democrat government. And let's hear Jason Kenney talk about this alliance of premiers that he has put together uh, from campaign night. Now let me thank the growing alliance of provincial governments who are champions of jobs, pipelines, and our resources. Thank you especially to my friends, Premiers Moe of Saskatchewan, Pallister, Pallister of Manitoba, Ford of Ontario, Higgs of New Brunswick, and McLeod of the Northwest Territories. I, I look forward to deepening our work together to create jobs and shared prosperity. Let me also, this is very important, let me also thank the growing number of progressive Indigenous leaders across Canada who want who want to be partners in responsible resource development. Alberta's government will sit down with you in the spirit of the treaties, in the spirit of reconciliation, to develop real partnerships that can help move First Nations people from poverty to prosperity through resources. Yeah, so I don't hear John Horgan's name in there, Smitty. No. This, is, this is pretty much all the Conservatives now, Alberta, uh, east to Ontario, yeah, maybe not Quebec, but New Brunswick and possibly the Northwest Territories are folks that Jason Kenney counts in his camp as right. conservative premiers who support oil uh, exports and getting our resources to market. John Horgan's alone on the West Coast as the only New Democrat government left in Canada. Yeah, last one. Uh, and just kind of isolated in his own way. Do you think that's a, a factor in what he's going to do? Well, I think Horgan's kind of looks like a the only vegan at a barbecue festival here now because you got all these red meat loving <laughs> conservatives uh premiers yep. across the country i mean we, now we got kenny but you got doug ford in ontario scott moe in saskatchewan brian pallister in manitoba even the premier of quebec is a right pretty right-leaning government at least center right anyway so horgan is the last ndp premier standing here and i would love to be a fly on the wall this first meeting between him and 
him and Kenny. Mm-hmm. Now, Corgan is kind of talking cordial right now, but I wonder how soon the gloves come off here and they're in, into a fight. Because this stuff about turn off the taps, it's interesting to hear Kenny kind of kind of fuzzifying his language a little bit about what he's actually going to do. Because it's one thing to actually proclaim this thing into law. It's another one to actually implement it and use it and actually cut off oil and gas shipments to BC. Now, the, the BC government's arguing he can't do it. Mm-hmm. He's saying it's basically illegal. We'll take him to court and we'll win. And they might be right. On the other hand, maybe maybe they don't win. And maybe he, he can do something like this. Or what if he tries something else? Right? What if, like, he's threatened to do things like truck inspections. Right. To for, clog for up rats. the BC. Yeah, for rats. Apparently, there's no rats in Alberta. Is that true or is that I, just a myth? I don't know. Someone I don't will, know. Someone will Google it as we're talking here. But, <laughs> so, but they inspect all the trucks for rats. Inspect the trucks for rats. So he said, you know, we could do these extra long inspections uh-huh. and really uh, gum up the economy that way. Remember, we had the wine war. Yeah. Uh, there's been some speculation. Well, BC shouldn't take this lion down. They might have to retaliate. Maybe they... BC cuts off lumber shipments to Alberta. Alberta so beef. Alberta beef. may do a boycott on that. This could get ugly, and it could get ugly quick, so we'll see. The other thing that those other premiers have in common is they all generally oppose the idea of a carbon tax, and this is Justin Trudeau's big push for a national carbon tax. BC supports it, partly, you know, under the former Liberal government because it was how they got approval for LNG Canada and the LNG industry. But now John Horgan is using the carbon tax as a revenue source, Yes. Uh, he's not. He doesn't have that kind of car, revenue neutral approach to the carbon tax. He is increasing it using the money for other things, his clean BC plan, that type of thing. So in some ways, now Justin Trudeau's only ally on the carbon tax, which is important to him, is John Horgan. And yeah. you kind of wonder in a weird sort of flip floppy kind of way, despite the fact that Horgan is blocking Trudeau's government owned federal Trans Mountain Pipeline project. Maybe Horgan and Trudeau find some, I don't know, solid uh, ground to cooperate on other things before the election. I mean, he doesn't. Trudeau's looking for friends, and Horgan, in a weird sort of way, is is maybe a kind of friend out there on the west coast. And could we see BC get a little bit more love from Ottawa, a little bit more of uh, the money for some transit projects or other things in the the days before the federal election when the cash is flying out the window? Maybe, maybe. That's a really good point because, you know, some people have pointed out that because Horgan's the odd person out here now is the last NDP premier left standing in the country now, does that leave him sort of on the outs with the fellow premiers and maybe he doesn't get his way on the national stage if, if they're going to try and uh, premiers get together to get what they want? On the other hand, maybe Trudeau sees a natural ally in Horgan here. And, and British Columbia is a crucial battleground now federally. And, and Trudeau picked up a lot of seats here last time and he needs to hang on to him. So does he come out here with some spreading around money now and say, hey, you guys wanted a SkyTrain in Surrey? I got some money here for your SkyTrain, or maybe I can help you out with your police income. Who knows? He might come out here with some money and start splashing it around. Let's pave that SkyTrain with gold. Yeah. Here's the money, whatever you need. Let's hear what John Horgan had to say. He was responding the day after the the election uh, to reporters on his thoughts on Jason Kenney's victory. I spoke uh, with uh, Premier-designate Kenney this morning. Uh, we had a cordial discussion. He has many things on his mind. Uh, I know as someone who recently uh, went through an election campaign, and although my process was a bit more uh, convoluted than, uh, than Mr. Kenny, I know the challenges that he faces. Uh, he is uh, seized of the morning after, and the work that he has to do, putting in place a cabinet, uh, uh, doing, going through the transition from one government to another government. We had a positive conversation. Uh, we agreed. 
uh, that we'll meet in the short term. We will be in Saskatoon, which I got out uh, favorably this time. I couldn't say Saskatoon in Quinnell today. Uh, we, we're going to be meeting in Saskatoon at a First Minister's Conference in the months ahead. Uh, I'm confident that we'll continue to work in a positive way. He, he, in the interest of the people of Alberta, me, in the interest of the people of British Columbia. So you're happy? You're happy with the election? Result. I am, uh, as I said before the election, my responsibility is to deal with whoever the people of any province puts in place, uh, whether it be uh, Mr. Ford in Ontario, Mr. Legault in Quebec. Uh, there's an election underway in Prince Edward Islands right now. There's an election just called in Newfoundland. Uh, I did joke with uh, Premier Kenny that uh, at the rate things are going, I will be a senior statesman, and I'm not yet at the two-year mark. So there's been a significant turnover at the Premier's table. Uh, uh, that's not lost on the Prime Minister, I'm sure. And uh, the colours of the uniforms are not important to me. I, I need to work with whoever wants to work with me. Taking the high road, right? Cordial discussion, yeah. um, hoping to be positive. I mean, I guess that's what you say at the beginning of any relationship. I can't imagine their conversation was that um, pleasant. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, Horgan likes to crack his kind of dad jokes and stuff, so maybe on a superficial level. But, uh, you know, I mean, if, if Horgan and Rachel Notley, two new Democrat brothers and sisters from the 1990s NDP staff era days who were friends, became such bitter kind of enemies over this pipeline, it's hard to imagine... Horgan's going to have a positive relationship with his ideological opposite on the conservative side. But, again, this is kind of this period where everyone's going to try and play nice until yeah. the big hammer starts swinging. Yeah, and I think it's inevitable that these two are going to butt heads. And, you know, I heard some analysis today saying, well, a lot of the stuff that Kenny said in the campaign trail was just rhetoric. He won't follow it up. I don't know. I mean, I've followed his career for a long time, and he, he seems to me like the type of guy who enjoys a political fight and doesn't seem like the type who's going to pull his head into his shell after sticking his neck out for so long on the campaign trail. This is a guy who likes to rumble. So I don't know. I think maybe buy your pay-per-view tickets because maybe this Horgan versus versus uh, Kenny here could be quite a battle. Our colleague Keith Baldry had a fascinating tweet saying, if Trudeau wins the next election, look at Trudeau versus Notley versus Kenny in the following federal election. So that would assume that Kenny and, and Notley end up uh, leading the the conservative and new Democrat parties federally? I don't know, but... Uh, Who is the guy thinks he is Nostradamus That's now? right, yeah. That's right. Like, what's going on? Amazing Kreskin. And I, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. If he's right on that, I'll tip my hat to him. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing from Kenny's uh, victory speech, Smitty, we'll hear him talk about this here, an inquiry into foreign-funded environmental groups. Let's hear what he had to say about that. And now, friends, I have a message, another message, a message to those foreign-funded special interests... <laughs> who have been leading a campaign of economic sabotage against this great province. To the Rockefeller Brothers Fund. To the Tides Foundation. To Lead Now. To the David Suzuki Foundation. And to all of the others. Your days of pushing around Albertans with impunity just ended. are patient and we're fair-minded, but we've had enough of your campaign of defamation and double standards. So today, today with this election, 
we begin to stand up for ourselves, for our jobs, and for our future. Today, we Albertans begin to fight back. From this day forward, whenever you lie about how we produce energy, we will tell the truth assertively. And, when, and we will use every means at our disposal to hold you to account. When multinational companies like HSBC boycott Alberta, we'll boycott them. We will launch a public inquiry into the foreign source of funds behind the campaign to landlock Alberta's energy. And uh, we will ban foreign money from our politics and use every legal tool at our disposal to defend the working women and men of Alberta. So there's a lot of names there. Uh, Tides Canada, Lead Now, the David Suzuki Foundation. He'd mentioned in previous speeches the Pembina Institute. We know those as big environmental players in British Columbia, most often aligned with the BC New Democrat Party, sometimes with the Greens, but they're the kind of groups that spend money to help the New Democrats uh, get elected. And so it's very, I think it's interesting to imagine Jason Kenney having a public inquiry, getting all the finances of these groups, figuring out who's getting money from where and where it's coming from. And the implications in BC might be that you severely damage or neuter or or harm groups that have big voices and a lot of money to spend in bc in future elections for the ndp this is another one that really plays well with the conservative base in alberta and a, and a reason that he won big in this election i think because there is a perception among some real pipeline supporters and supporters of the oil patch that there's been meddling by environmental groups with foreign money that a lot of this money comes from american sources primarily from these big foundations south of the border they come into these environmental organizations in Canada and they distort the debate in Alberta. So I think Kenny played into that uh, very cleverly and effectively. Now he's promising a public inquiry. He's also promised to set up a war room to go after these environmental groups when they spread misinformation about the oil sands. So this is all, like I said, like it's red meat for his supporters and we'll see whether how much he, how much he backs it up. Um, but, you know, the other side of that coin is people will point out who were on the environmental side of it, or people who are opposed to uh, the pipeline, for example, is that a lot of these big companies that are that are behind uh, pipelines and oil companies, they're foreign controlled. Yeah. Right. I mean, they're foreign companies that are taking the oil out of the ground in Alberta. So they say, OK, yeah, you're saying that there's foreign money coming in to oppose this. There's foreign money going into these companies to dig the stuff out of the ground in the first place. Yeah. Sometimes even state controlled companies you well, know, yeah. from actual governments. But you know who likes this idea of an environmental inquiry is BC Liberal opposition leader Andrew Wilkinson. I talked to him and he's sure. like, hmm, yeah, that's very interesting. You know, if if group he's, he said, if groups like the Dogwood Initiative are going to be political groups that only support one party, well, then let's treat them like that and cast open their, their funding. Now, okay, I mean, it, there's a political win for the Liberals in doing that. But, I mean, I don't think they would like it very much if their biggest supporters and, and their, um, you know, corporate uh, donors were being treated the same way. But nonetheless, uh, there may be a win for the BC Liberals in that in the long term, depending on that happens. Outside, is there anything else that struck you about the Alberta election before we move on, Smitty? Was there... A... Um, uh, just other than this was a, a big win for Kenny and anyone who thought that uh, 
one thing to keep in mind is that I think there was almost zero chance for Notley to win there. I mean, the, the only reason she won the last time is there was that split on the right, right? You remember how there was the Progressive Conservative Party and the Wild Rose Party? They were at each other's throats. The, the conservative right-wing vote base split. Kenny very masterfully brought those two parties together under the United Conservatives, and I think there was really a no-hoper for her going into that election. There was one more thing on my mind about it. That, you know, Rachel Notley said immediately after the election that she touted the progress she had made socially, healthcare, um, you know, education, uh, rights for LGBTQ people, um, all the social improvements that her government had brought in, which are the bread and butter of the New Democrats. And at the end of the day, you know, despite all of that, the issue in Alberta came down to the economy. And I think yeah. maybe in British Columbia, that's a bit of a reminder to the New Democrats that they have made incredible progress on the social side from welfare rates to you know, I covered a story this week about um, tuition waivers for oh, former yeah. kids in care, which is a fantastic program. Right. That's a 300% increase in former government uh, for kids who have been in government care, getting free tuition. All these social programs that win the New Democrats uh, a lot of support. At the end of the day, if the economy tilts a little, if it continues yeah. to cool in British Columbia, yeah. I think the lesson maybe from Alberta is that will swamp all of the social progress and all the social programs of the NDP. So it's something maybe the New Democrats keep an eye on in British Columbia. Well, I think Andrew Wilkinson, the B.C. Liberal leader, has that in mind. I'm taking a look at his Twitter, Rob, right now, and he put out a tweet that says, uh, British Columbians are paying uh, record high prices for gasoline again. Uh -huh. So he's got a picture here on Twitter of a liter of gas for point nine. 174.9 for a regular liter of gas, which is like another North American high all-time <laughs> record. Um, so what does he want to do about it? Have, well, we figure, have we figured that out yet? I talked to him today about it, and he said that what the BC government should do is cut taxes on gasoline to give people a break at the pump. Now, this is kind of a funny business politics sometimes because you start to get like kind of deja vu or almost like a groundhog day kind of thing going on you see these repeating patterns because the, the weird thing is it was the liberals who brought in the carbon tax in the first place and the ndp who opposed it yeah right and carol james when she was leader of the ndp axed the tax now it's the ndp who are increasing the carbon tax and patting themselves in the back for it and wilkinson the liberals are saying you got to cut taxes on gasoline so i mean it just kind of goes around in a circle uh, depending on who's in power and what kind of political points you're trying to uh, he, score. He's also uh, mused about a cap on gas prices. Now, I don't know how BC would do that. I mean, he's kind of, I think in the legislature and elsewhere, suggested a cap, you know, like maybe $1.60 or something for gas. I don't know how the province would do that, but I, I'm not sure how seriously you can take that idea. But it is, it is an interesting proposal. I think it people like the idea whether or not it's feasible or not pure politics he's trying to find a wedge issue yeah and for people who are paying a buck 74 for a liter of gas maybe it could be a good one for him and well, I, I suspect you'll hear him sort of beating this drum uh, continually now especially if the price of gas stays high you don't you don't need to be dan mcteague to to <laughs> guess that uh if the government cuts taxes on fuel the, the oil companies just fill in that void by oh my goodness we have a <clears throat> another, um, you know, delay on Terminal 7 is down for maintenance and uh, the summer price of gas is, uh, and all these baloney, nonsensical, gibberish explanations from uh, Mr. McTeague and some of the other uh, petroleum analysts who 
can justify any seeming increase in gas with some type of like temporary maintenance idea. I bet if the government cuts taxes in British Columbia, gas prices still go up because the oil yeah. companies will just find a way to, to screw us on that too. Yeah, there's a lot of hypocrisy around this too, of course, because I asked uh, Wilkinson today, do you still support the BC carbon tax? And he goes, well, yeah, he supports the, the concept of a carbon tax in British Columbia. It was the liberals who brought it in in the first place. Well, isn't the whole point of a carbon tax is you want to make it painful for people when they go to the gas pump? You want them to feel pain in the wallet and think, oh, man, this is killing me, these gas prices. I'm going to buy an electric car or bicycle. That's the point of a carbon tax. So he supports that. But I guess he just doesn't want it to go too high. He goes, yeah, we want to punish people, right? We want to make them hurt when they fill, put gas in their car, but not too much. Just a little bit. If it starts to hurt too much, then it's a problem. Yeah. So. <laughs> Governments have always tried to soften the carbon tax. Remember, the liberals used to soften it with, well, don't worry, you're going to get it back in tax rebates because it's revenue neutral. Right. But then we discovered the tax rebates were basically like film company credits. And, and they, weren't, they weren't things that you were going to get in your ordinary life. So that revenue, tri- but they needed to say that not only we're going to increase it, but don't worry, we're going to help you at the same time. The NDP are doing that too. We're increasing it. Oh, but you get your climate rebate check and you'll but get you your get all your other stuff. And it, it, no one is ever able just to say, we're increasing it so that you hurt, so that you change your behavior. They always have to have the, don't, don't, don't worry, we'll give you yeah. a check <laughs> and over here and a tax. So you're right. That's the, the hypocrisy of the statement is, is what it is. But, you know, Horgan wants all electric vehicle sales in British Columbia by 2040. So better get on hurting people. Otherwise, their yeah. behavior is not going to change. Uh, the other th- fascinating thing as we close out the podcast this week, Smitty, and just kind of came up late in the week, getting drunk on BC ferries, hitting the booze. Uh, there's a leaked memo from our colleague uh, McLean Kay at the Orca website from BC Ferries saying there's a pilot project on at least one of the major routes, I think Schwartz Bay, Swasson, uh, to be able to buy some BC beer and wine in the buffet, maximum two drinks um, on the ferry. First reaction is, well, that's great. And then the second reaction is, oh, I bet they, that's going to be contentious. I bet you some well, people are going to mumble about that. What do, what do you make of that? Surprising. Uh, I was a little surprised to see this announcement come out today. It's a leaked memo, so I'm not yeah. sure if fairies really wanted it out there yet. Well, I wonder if they'll stick with it because, and speaking of deja vu, and maybe some knowledgeable listeners will be able to fill in the blanks here for me because I remember a long time ago I'm talking going this, way back. Is this a dream sequence? Do we no, do this, do is do re- do this is reality. This really okay. happened. I think it was the social credit government maybe in the 80s that toyed with this idea. Someone came up with an idea. Why don't we sell beer and wine on BC ferries? Wouldn't it be nice to have a nice beer or a glass of wine with your meal on BC ferries? And the proverbial, you know what, hit the fan. And uh, because people started saying, wait a second, people are driving onto the ferry. You're going to start op- having an op- a bar on the ferries and drunk driving? People yeah. driving drunk off the ferry? Hell no. So they backed off on that real darn quick. I-, I don't know how much consultation went into this idea. And it'll be interesting to see if uh, groups like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, for example, have anything to say about it. Well, so man, we'll if, see. You know, this will be this pilot project on beer and wine will be followed very closely by a pilot project from Delta Police to put roadblocks up on the Sawasan yeah. <laughs> Ferry Causeway where you can't get around them. Because, yeah, the first thing you're going to do is is start checking everybody to see who had two wobbly pops with their buffet and is 
is not drunk drunk but is in the two drink two drink maximum right yeah but isn't maybe the war well, maybe in the warning uh, you know the the thing about impaired roadside prohibitions now is you don't have to be drunk point zero five you just have to be in the warren right that's so, right for a lot of people depending on your metabolism or whatever two drunks puts you over the limit and you know we hear claire trevena the transportation minister cite the vancouver police department in her justification for the class four class five drivers issue on ride hailing oh the police told us this is safer. The Vancouver police, you can't argue with the police. We have to do this. All it's going to take is one police department to say, this is not a, we do not recommend yeah. putting alcohol on BC ferries. And the Oregon administration is going to have a ton of problems. You either ignore the police, which will be pure hypocrisy, or you back, you force BC ferries to back away from it. On the other hand, lots of people would, I mean, if you're walking on the ferry and you got to go stand in the stupid lineup for the bus on the other side, be nice to have a couple blue bucks or something. Uh, not, a, not everybody's driving either. No. Right? I mean, like, you know, so if you're a passenger, why can't you have a glass of wine with your, your meal? So, you know, and our, other people might say, well, they sell beer and wine everywhere, every other restaurant in, in the province where people will drive to the restaurant, and, and that doesn't seem to be a problem. So I just think, though, that the optics of this one has ricocheted on a, on pa on a past government, and I'm just wondering if maybe this one... Uh, I just wonder how 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 uh, widely uh, how how much this was thought out and how much consultation went into it. So we'll find out more here in the days ahead on it. I have a feeling that uh, talk radio professionals like yourself could uh, make some hay out of that issue. It's on a the good open talker. Line. It's yeah. an interesting one because a lot of people might say, "What are you talking about? There's no problem. Yeah, relax. Let's not start flying off the handle here. I mean, how you know how extreme are we going to get on this? On the other hand. They've talked about it before, and the idea of having beer and beer and wine on, B, on BC ferries had been a BC BC ferries corporation policy for a long time that they didn't like that idea. So it's, yeah. it was I thought it was a little surprising to see that today. All right, we'll keep an eye on that. Maybe have an update for you next week. Yep. Uh, thanks for listening to the podcast. Reach out, chat with us, whatever is on your mind. Mike Smith's in the province. I'm in the Sun. We're both on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and check online for our feeds for your other podcast providers. Thanks for listening to us. Talk to you next week.